Well, we're going to be in uh, chapter 3 today in the book of James. And if you've noticed through this series that we call Practical Faith, it's that James is really talking about how faith changes our lives, everything about us. Uh, God's Word is, is so deep, and when we have faith in Him and His Word, it affects every single part of our life. And today we're going to be talking specifically about the way we talk, our speech. And this is kind of, a, in a sense, a repeat sermon from about six weeks ago um, when we were studying through the book of Proverbs. We really looked at about 12 of the almost 100 Proverbs that talk about our speech. And that was really more of a cause and effect sermon of, of how our words have power. Uh, but today we're looking at the source of our words and the source of, of God's truth and God's life. That, that there's a lot that can be ascertained about us by the way that we speak. Our tongues say a lot about us. And if you've been to the doctor, you probably remember the moment where they say, say, ah, uh, stick out your tongue, and they got the depressor, and they're looking at it with a flashlight. And I'm not from the medical field. I know we have um, some doctors and nurses and administrators among us, so I, I hope I'm saying this right. But they can tell a lot about your physical health from that quick check. And so I guess just by the color of your tongue, uh, if it's just nice pink, it means you're probably healthy. If it's too dark, it means you could be having allergies or some sort of reaction. Uh, if it's too light or white, you could have infections. If it's too smooth, it means you might be deficient in iron or vitamins of some kind. If it's too rough, it means you could be dehydrated or lack saliva in your mouth. And if your tongue is hanging outside of your mouth as you're breathing heavily, it means you're probably a dog. Uh, that you don't need a medical degree to note. But much can be uh, seen about you, and, and much can be ascertained about your overall physical health just by looking at your tongue. And that's what James is saying today, is that as a Christian, if you profess faith in him, you can see a lot about your spiritual health just by the words that you choose. And all of them are very important. This is something that applies to us all. It's a general principle that guides us in our daily life. So just note that as we, as we read these verses today, this is going to hit home for all of us. And that's on purpose, that God has a great design and a purpose to words. So let's read together. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. And when we put bits into the mouths of horses, we make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, 
birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can, be, can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Well, just like any sermon in the book of James, there's a lot to unpack in what we saw here. But there's kind of a baseline understanding that we need to bring into this, a reality that we have to accept. We talk a lot. Every person talks a lot. On average, between 10 and 15,000 words a day, maybe 20,000 words a day, it's, it's been calculated that about a fifth of our life is spent talking. And every single one of those words can be extremely important. So we have this inflated view of our words that even if we say one or two or three bad words a day, we can just cover up with the ten to 15,000 others that we speak. But words in and of themselves have the power to usher life and death. Now that's an idea that the believers of the time would know because the Old Testament, specifically the Proverbs, speak a lot about that concept. That it's not that just we make someone happy or sad in what we say, which certainly can be true, but that from the beginning of time, words themselves were the source of life and death. We go all the way back to the very beginning, the third verse of the Bible, Genesis 1-3, everything started because God spoke. And he said, let there be light. And then there was light. And he continued to speak as everything was created. Life itself was created. And God continued to speak after that time. Words to guide us and to instruct us to life. Everlasting life. All of God's words give life. But then in Genesis 3, there was the first words that ushered death. There's the words of Satan who took the form of the serpent, and his words were, did God really say that? And he twisted and distorted and deceived with these lies for the purpose of leading people away from life to death. And that's exactly what happened. The tongue has the power of life and death. That's from Proverbs 18. So this underlying assumption here is that words are very important. And if you think that words are unimportant or just kind of throw away, you are wrong. The Bible compares those who are careless with their words like a maniac shooting flaming arrows into a crowd of people. Every word is important. And they carry with it the potential for eternal difference. So that's the underlining assumption here, that we all need to come to, that everything else to follow will make sense. 
And verses 1 and 2 really talk about this importance of our words. And he starts with kind of a warning slash encouragement towards teachers. That not many of you should become teachers. Because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now this isn't the verse you put on a pamphlet when you're uh, trying to find Sunday school teachers. Right? And this is the verse that's really hard to start with if you're the person uh, writing a sermon for the weekend. But it's this reality that teachers have a great burden. It's kind of the Spider-Man moment when you understand the importance of words, right? With great power comes great responsibility. And so it's not a discouragement for anyone who wants to teach, but this reminder that your words carry with them great value to usher people unto life or unto death. And this could be talking about teachers in an official capacity. In the early church, the teachers, primarily speaking, were the elders, and the lead uh, teaching elder was the pastor. So this could be talking about people in that kind of capacity. It could be talking about teachers in general, all the way from a pastor to a Sunday school teacher to a Bible study leader. Or it might be talking about people who are teaching in informal ways, which is every believer, that as soon as you profess your faith in Christ, people are watching you, and they're hinging on your words. And it's this humbling realization that all of us, when we represent Christ in whatever capacity, are teachers, and we have to take this seriously. Whatever way we teach, whether formally or informally, the interactions you have with other people will have an eternal impact. And so when it comes to words, even the smallest of words, understand their importance and influence it can have on people. So it's this warning slash encouragement for all of us, I believe, as you have faith. Understand the importance of your words. And then he speaks something kind of encouraging. We all stumble in many ways. Wait, wasn't that supposed to be encouraging? <laughs> but is this reality, like, we all fail at this. So know, like, there is going to be this margin of failure you need to walk through. And the word we is important because he's including himself, the half-brother of Jesus, the disciple-turned-apostle-turned-leader of the church of Jerusalem, and saying, I mess up here too. Everyone messes up to some extent here. We're going to talk more about that in the verses ahead. But let's just put this, this bold claim to the test here. We all stumble in a variety of ways, especially when it comes to words. So here's the test here. Raise your hand if you have never said something that you regret. Okay? Raise your hand if you have never said something poor about another person. All right? Raise your hand if you have never lied. Can anyone raise their hand? But if they did, that would have disqualified you from that moment. <laughs> now I'm raising my hand for illustrative purposes, of course. I'm included in that, in all three of those examples, and many more. We've all stumbled in many ways. We have to understand and, and own that failure, that there's a problem inside of us. And he uses kind of the opposite example here, that if anyone is never at fault in what they say, which we just concluded uh, does not include any of us here. If anyone's at never a fault in what they say, then they are perfect. And this means fully mature or sinless. 
and you're able to control every part of yourself. The reality is nobody is immune from this problem except Jesus. He is the only one to never be at fault. He never sinned with his mouth. And so this realization up front that there's a universal issue that we're, that we're facing here, whether you profess to be a believer or not. We have a liability inside of us with our tongue. And it is very powerful. That's what verses 3 through 6 kind of explain. He gives these illustrations of the power of the tongue, how it can control all of you. And he starts in verse 3 by saying that a, a, a tiny bit, we can put a bit into the mouths of horses and make them obey us. We can turn and direct the whole animal. And this reminded me of a moment when I was much younger, probably six, five, six years old, as in a parade in my hometown of Princeton. And now kids are at parades for one reason, to accumulate the most amount of candy humanly possible. I, don't, I didn't care about the politicians or the insurance companies or the marching bands. I wanted the candy. And so somebody threw out a handful of Tootsie Rolls, and I ran out into the street and was grabbing them as many as I could. And I turned around, and two giant Clydesdales were coming down the middle of the street. Massive creatures like you see here in the picture, probably a ton each. And you could feel the ground shake, and I remember running back to the side sidewalk to kind of watch them go by. And who was controlling these horses? A tiny, frail, 70, 80-year-old man with the reins in his hand. And these horses that were 10 times his size, he was controlling with these little bits that were less than a pound. And that's the point that we get here at the power of words, is that no matter what your stature might be, you could be profound in your field with your mind. You could have a finely tuned body where you are an athlete at the highest level, or maybe you are a politician or someone with great influence. If you say the wrong words, if you slip up, you essentially have to follow those words. And whatever you had planned in your life takes a back seat because now they are guiding you. Just like the bit of a mouth of a horse. And he uses the same example of this disproportionate size of influence of this big ship. Now this cruise liner probably isn't what James had in mind at the time. But if you've ever seen a, a cruise liner, you know how massive they are. But the small rudder, maybe one one-thousandth of the size, can steer the ship wherever the pilot wants to go, even in a strong storm. The small rudder can steer the ship. Your words will lead you. They will have an impact in your life and in the impact of others. And that's the third illustration he gives here of a forest fire. That the tongue is a small part, but it makes great boasts. And consider what a great forest can be set on, set on fire by a small spark. Now, most forest fires, and we've had many, are done through negligence. They're done on accident. Somebody who throws the lit cigarette out the window or the bottle rocket that lands out in the field. Uh, growing up, we had a big uh, fire by our house that was far enough away, didn't cause us any issues, but it, it burned through hundreds or maybe thousands of acres and took with it a handful of houses. Uh, and it was started by a guy who was trying to get rid of his gophers, so he filled up all of the gopher tunnels with propane. 
and then would light it up. Now, he took care of the gophers and a lot of other things, but this disproportionate small 20-pound uh, uh, propane tank took care of all of that forest and field and houses. And that's what it's like when you're negligent with your words. It can be a small word that you just kind of throw out there, the gossip that everyone is saying, so you have to say too. That can split apart a church community and divide it. The insensitive joke can ruin friendships. The little lie can end a marriage. And just like a forest fire, once it's ablaze, it is out of control. The word that you spoke, just like the tube of toothpaste, can't be taken back. And now the damage is spreading. And I believe that's possible because of the influence and the power of Satan to multiply our words and to use them to the most amount of destruction possible. And that's why we see this very illustrative language here in verse 6. That the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. The tongue can be a very destructive thing. And our words can be used to drive people to God, to repentance, to his grace and his love and his life, or they can be used to drive them away. And Satan will do all he can to make sure that the latter is true. And many Christians, unfortunately, have said things to people that drove them away from God that they have no interest of ever setting their foot in church again. And I think Satan will use those words to the maximum amount of power, all because of a careless, negligent word that can never be taken back. That's the power of words. And in this, we have an interesting word for hell. It's not the, the normal word you'd see that translates to hell. Uh, this is speaking of a specific place in the time. Gehenna is the name of the place. And it was this, uh, right outside of Jerusalem, there's this trash heap. People would just dump all of their refuse and their waste, and it'd be burning like 24-7, this, this permanently set on fire trash heap outside of Jerusalem. And that's similar to the words that can come out of our mouths. They're dirty, they're stinky, and they just incinerate all that's in their path. And a few words spoken in anger or in negligence can have devastating effects. Satan will use them for maximum destruction. So we see in these first six verses this realization that the tongue in its natural state or a tongue in a careless state as a Christian can be uh, used as a, a tool of divisiveness, of evil. But the greater biblical understanding is that God can make all things new, that he can transform things into an instrument of blessing and of peace and of love. And so we can't, as Christians, just simply conclude by saying, our tongue is doomed. What's the point? I'm just going to say whatever and whatever is going to happen. But rather, understand the transformative power of God to make anything into an instrument of goodness and righteousness. And that's what we end with today in verses 7 through 12, is this idea of this disciplined speech. 
And this is only powerful if you understand the source of power. Now, our tendency is to want to control things and rely on our own power and strength and abilities to do all things. And so we might think, if I just think positive thoughts, try to say something nice daily, then I can fix this problem that's been living inside of me. And as we get to the end of this text, you'll understand that that's not what we're leading towards. So he uses verse 7 as kind of another illustration of people have been able to do all sorts of amazing things. And when you look at society, if, if James knew how we were living now and the things that man was able to create, he could probably use a lot more examples. You have people living in the Arctic Circle and taming the environments, people going to the depths of the sea. But he uses the example of animals, that you can tame even the most wild animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures. We see that today. You go to the circus and there's lions and elephants tamed and trained by people. You go to the uh, zoo or, or to the west coast, you can see killer whales living in giant pools and doing parlor tricks. Mankind has the ability to do a lot. And I'm going to show you a picture here of a wild beast that Mandy and I tamed living in our house. You probably thought I was going to show a picture of Mason there, but this is our golden retriever, Britta. We've had her for 10 years. And you know what? We have been able to control every aspect of this wild animal. She does everything we say, with two exceptions. Uh, if there's a squirrel in the backyard, she will chase the squirrel, no matter what we do. She's never caught one. I don't know uh, what she would do if she did. And if a guest comes through her, our, our house, uh, she will smother that guest for 15 to 20 seconds with the utmost of affection. So if you're ever in for a dog fix, just come to our front door. She will be on you for about 20 seconds. But the point being, and what James is saying, is that we never took a class. We didn't read a book. We just kind of did it, and it worked, because God gave us dominion over all kinds of animals, and so people can understand their influence and their control on the things around them and then deceive themselves. And see, if I can control all those things around me, then I can also control myself. And the reality is that is not true. And that's what he gets to in verse 8, that no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. When you try to control your own tongue, you are quickly out of your element. And it's something you cannot do in your own power. The tongue is untamable. You can't cure it through positive thinking or reading a blog. It's restless, and it means it's busy. It's always ready to cause mischief and, and strike with this deadly bite. So he's dropping this truth bomb here on you, that we are all in bad shape if we're left only to our own self-control. Despite your, death, your best intentions and the advice of any kind of self-help book, you cannot change yourself in the ways that truly matter. You cannot control your own speech. You need help. 
And he gives kind of the best case scenario here in verses 9 and 10, if you try to do this, that, that you at best kind of have this double-mindedness with your tongue, that you can praise God in some circumstances, and maybe in your public life you can look really good, but then in the private, behind the scenes, you're, you're cursing people and, and you're being destructive with your words. He says that's not how we're meant to be, that you shouldn't be having this uh, these praises and these curses coming out of your own mouth. This is the best case scenario when left to your own self-control. But he says you need a fresh start, a new beginning from the ground up. And that's what we read in verses 11 and 12. That can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring. That's verse 11 basically saying, you know, you can't have both things coming out of your mouth. That's, that's not what we're, what we're trying to achieve here. In verse 12, he says that a, that a fig tree can't bear olives, a grapevine can't bear figs, and a salt spring can't produce fresh water. So if there's an issue with the product or the fruit in your life, the issue is not the fruit. Now, I think about like an apple tree. Now, when we bought our house in Maple Plain here about 10 years ago, and I always thought it would be cool to have an apple tree on your property. And those of you who have one are smiling and shaking your head now and saying, no, it's not. And we had an apple tree. I don't know what kind it was in our backyard, uh, but it would, it would grow apples every single year, and they had dropped like around the 4th of July. So it was really early. And at best, it tasted like sour sand. It was disgusting. And so they're good for nothing. They weren't even good for baking. And they'd drop and they'd leave a mess all over the yard. And the bees would come. And it just was a big hassle to have this true this tree which was producing bad fruit. Now I could say to myself, I want a honey crisp tree. And so I'm gonna go to the grocery store and buy honey crisp apples and staple them to the tree. That didn't fix the problem. At best it covered up the problem. And that's the point he's making here, is that if the problem is the fruit, then the answer isn't the fruit. The answer is the root. If you want new fruit, you have to replace the tree. And if you're one where there's uh, bad words coming out of your mouth, if you have unwholesome speech, the, the, the solution isn't just putting new words in your mouth. It's getting a new heart. It's becoming a new person. And this is totally consistent with what Jesus said earlier in Luke 6. He's essentially saying that your tongue is an extension of your heart. It's revealing who you really are as a person in the inside, a reflection of your true self. In Luke 6, he says that a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings up evil things out of the evil things stored in his heart. For the mouth speaks with the heart is full of. And so if you're one that's often rude and insulting and nitpicking of people, it's a reflection that your heart is full of pride and anger and bitterness. If you're one that's quick to encourage and edify and build up others, it's a reflection that your heart is full of love and grace and joy. So when you consider your words, it's reflecting the reality of your heart. And if your speech is destructive. You don't need speech therapy. You need a heart transplant. And only one can do that. 
The good news we need to leave off with, and as you read all of Scripture, you see the whole story of what's being said here. We don't want to leave off of today's text and say, I'm never going to do well. I might as well give up. But you need to be pointed to the one who can give you the power and the transformation to change your heart and change your life and therefore change your words, that God has grace to cover everything. No matter what you've said in your life or no matter how you failed, Jesus did not. And he wants to work a new heart in you. That's the good news of Christ, is that there's forgiveness and a fresh start in him, no matter what has happened. Jesus, as I said earlier, never sinned with his lips. And yet he took the punishment of those who did. And he took that punishment silently. Scriptures say that he was like a lamb led to the slaughter, and he did not open his mouth. Jesus took the full penalty for the empty words that we have spoken. And so the reality is you need to trust in him for that and accept his gift of new life that Jesus can make all things new. And then living in that reality of who you are, choose your words wisely. You never have to apologize for something you didn't say. It's the one uh, thing I hope you walk away with here today. You have to think about what you say before you say it. Be slow to speak and ask yourself things like, is this true? That's the baseline thing for anyone before they repeat or say anything. Do you know for sure if it's true? Is it helpful? Is this building others up or is it tearing them down and building me up? And is it necessary? Should you be the one saying it at that time in that place to that person? And do you have the right motivation? Think about your words before you speak them. And speak in a way that's reflective of your true nature in Jesus. And not if, but when you make mistakes. Respond to it correctly. If you've said something you wish you could take back, apologize. Own up to it. Take accountability. Confess to God. Confess to others. And pray for God's help that you don't say something like that again. And I know that there are many here today who have long-standing hurts between yourself and others because of something you said or something they've said. Maybe spans back decades. Let the past be the past. And find a, a new start. Reconcile with God. Reconcile with one another. And move forward Words, forgiveness. Words have the power of life and death, but break the cycle of disharmony with forgiveness. But what we walk away with today when we talk about speech and words is that this is not an optional endeavor for believers. This is at the core of who we are. That it should be our prayer, just like David in Psalm 19, that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart should be pleasing to God our Father. But it's also the understanding that the only way to a new tongue is to receive a new heart. And the only way to receive a new heart is through faith in Christ. Let's close together today today in prayer. 
Well, God, we thank you for all of the, the words um, that you, you share with us through your Bible, that, that even something like this is certainly going to be convicting for many or probably all, certainly for myself in these kinds of sermons, I think about all the times that I said something I shouldn't have in haste or in anger or in bitterness. And so, God, I just pray for your forgiveness to cover over all of this, that we know that grace, love, and mercy can cover any multitude of sins. And so, God, I pray that we would run to you with those things, whether it's something we said or something someone else said. But, God, I do pray that we would represent you well, that we would usher people unto life with our words, knowing that you are the source of life and your, your words bring life, new life in any person. So God, may we just trust in you more in this new heart and this new life that you've given us. May we be new creatures. That includes new tongues as well, that we speak to edify and build up and to love and to serve your kingdom above all else. So we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.